so one of the things that I love doing is I love kind of exposing my wife to films over the years that I've seen that I kind of bring up to her and I see if she's like been exposed to it and then if she hasn't I like to bring this into her world and let her know that this is a film that exists and whether or not it's good or whether or not it's funny or whether or not it's just a complete like a great example is uh the concept of the room and I'm pretty sure I say that, and most people know what I'm talking about, you know? Oh, hi, Mark. Yes, The Room. My wife didn't know what that was until The Disaster Artist came out. When that came out, she looked at it and she was like, this is funny, but I don't get it. And I was like, you've never seen The Room before? She's like, what's The Room? So I spent three days exposing her to not just The Room, but the concept of Tommy Wiseau. Then we watched The Disaster Artist, and then we watched a bunch of interviews with him and a bunch of the other stuff that he's done that just makes him more of a character in real life, like his his Joker skit. Um, I forget what uh, YouTube channel it was for, but the Joker skit, that's hilarious. Then you have, like, um, his interviews with people where, like, they try to like, ask him questions that he just dances around. And just, just him as a character... I exposed that whole Tommy was so universe to her. So every now and then a movie comes across where I have to do the same thing because it's just, you know, not up her alley. She didn't pay attention to it or it had a name that was just dumb for her. So this is a film that kind of follows in that path of being that <laughs> she just looked at that name and was just thought it was extremely stupid. Lucky number Slevin doesn't come off as like a, okay... Yeah, that's kind of a dumb name. Maybe this film isn't good. But if you give it a shot, this film is fantastic. I spent about a week trying to convince her to watch it. And then she finally gave in. And within the first two minutes, like, I'm pretty sure I had her hooked. So now, for those who don't know this movie, let me give you a kind of rundown. A kind of almost start to finish. Now, the film is 15 years old. I don't mind spoiling some things. Just for the simple fact that I love this film. And if you love this film, then you'll probably listen to this entry. And if you aren't and you're kind of interested, then listen on. But I'm going to tell you as I get maybe five or ten minutes deep into this entry, there's going to be some things that kind of spoil the story because it does have a crazy twist ending. And you're only going to love that twist ending if you watch it from start to finish. So please, if you've never seen it and you're interested, stop. Take, you know, take the night. Go and watch it. It's a little less than two hours. It's completely worth it. It's got a fantastic cast. Lucy Liu, Josh Hartnett, Morgan Freeman, Bruce Willis, Stanley Tucci, Ben Kingsley. It's got fantastic actors in it, and they all do a tremendously good job. So watch that now if you haven't, and please stop listening if you don't want things to be spoiled, because I am going to spoil some things that happen in the film, including the ending. Okay, so let's move forward. The first 90 seconds in the film, it's kind of just going through the credits. And the first thing you see in the first 90 seconds is a dude trying to get into his car, and then he just gets shot. And then it goes to this, like, lift that's right behind him, and you see the legs of a character kind of keep going. So you don't necessarily see who shoots him, but you know that he was shot or he was assassinated in some way. You move forward about another minute, minute and a half, and it goes to this dude um, sitting at a desk... And he's got a gun out, and his people kind of come in with uh, this other guy, and they're like, what do you want? And the dude takes his glasses apart, and then stabs the two bodyguards in the neck. And before this dude sitting at the desk can get his gun back out, uh, there's like a baseball somewhere. So he picks up the baseball and throws it so hard, it shatters the dude's skull. 
And it's very, like, the images are very great. And then the character, who you don't see the face of, goes and picks up the book on the desk. Picks up that book and leaves the room. Then, that's still kind of within the credit sequence. As the credit sequence comes to an end, there's a scene where there's a guy sitting in a, um, a train station, or uh, maybe a bus station, you know, what, what, one of those kind of stations. And he's sitting there, and he's chilling, and he's kind of like waiting for like his time uh, for his train to come. He passes out as he's waiting for his train or whatever. He's woken up by Bruce Willis in a wheelchair who's telling him this story, and he just seems like this crazy homeless dude. And this guy is like kind of looking at him like, uh, what are you doing, dude? So then he tells him this crazy story about something called, um, the, like the Carolina bait and switch or something. It, it's funny what he says, but then he goes into this really elaborate story that really kind of gives you a, a set piece for like some of the characters. It starts, it's, he's explaining the story about how there was this horse race that was somewhat supposed to be rigged. And through a series of events, this, like, no-name middle-class worker found out that the horse was going to be rigged and decided to bet on it. And he bet more money than he could imagine. He went to a bookie. He got him to cover the bet. And then he goes to the horse race with his son in the car, thinking, making his wife think that it's a baseball game, leaves his son in the car while he goes to the horse race. And then the horse who he bet on winds up not winning. Actually, the horse winds up, like, dying completely. The horse has, like, a heart attack or something. And so now he owes all this money. So apparently people found out about that super quick. He tries to go back to his car. His car is gone. His son's gone. And then he gets kidnapped. The very next scene is him in like a warehouse being surrounded by a bunch of people. You see nobody's face except for this dude. His son is gone. And then you also see a dude like roll up to like his apartment. And he's got a shotgun. And then they... They show, like, in the background of the scene in the warehouse, they show the bookie where, who he made the bet with, he's dead completely. Then they, then they flash to a scene where his son is out in a desert with this other dude who he's about to get, like, shot in the head. Then they go back to the shot of the guy with the shotgun coming up to the mother's house. She gets shot and killed. You assume the kid gets shot and killed. Then they show the dude who made the bet get a plastic bag wrapped around his head and then duct tape so he suffocates to death. So all based on this bet that was rigged that this tri- that this guy tried to get in on, everybody dies. The entire family dies. And that's what you're, you know, led to believe is that everybody essentially was murdered on that day and this all happens within the first 15 minutes of the film. Now we shot we shoot back to Bruce Willis in the train station with this dude. And the dude's like, holy shit, that was a fantastic story. So that's a Carolina bait and switch. I'm sorry, actually, it's not Carolina, it's Kansas. Kansas City Shuffle, that's what it is. And so he says the Kansas City Shuffle is when they look right and you look left. And so the dude looks right, looks back. Bruce Willis is no longer in the chair. And then it shoots to the chair, shoots back to him. Bruce Willis is standing behind the guy and then he kills him. He just cracks his neck and then puts the guy in the wheelchair and then carries him off. That's the this is the first 15 minutes of this film. And within those first 15 minutes with all of that shit happening, I had my wife hooked. She was like I need to know what happens next. So we're watching it, sometimes passing. You have a scene where 
Josh Hartnett is in a um, a bathroom and he's like it looks like he's shaved it looks like he just had a shower and then he's walking around the apartment and then Lucy Lou bursts into the apartment and she's like I need a cup of sugar wait you're not Nick and he's like no Nick's my friend I came into town just now and you know Nick Nick told me he would be home soon so I just came into the apartment and so she's like well when was the last time you spoke to Nick and he's like oh, I don't know a while ago and she's like, what happened to your nose? So he's got like a broken nose and he got like the, the image on his face that his nose looked broken. And he's like, well, then he tells the story about how he almost got mugged and then they like tried to rob him and whatnot. And so they kind of go on this like, realm, like it's a lot of like storytelling in the film. So he's telling the story about how like his girlfriend cheated on him. That's what led him to take the trip to come to the city to see his buddy Nick because Nick knew that his um, his girl cheated on him. So he's like, oh, get out of the city. Come hang out with me for a couple of days. He gets mugged and now he's in the apartment and Lucy Lou finds him. And so Lucy Lou is like, oh, well, Nick hasn't come back home yet. We have to figure it out. And it becomes this thing where they're like trying to solve a mystery that isn't there yet. Because again, we're talking, this is still the first, you know, the first third of the film. You know what I'm saying? So it's building up characters and it's building up relationships. And you kind of get the feeling like, oh, okay, they might have a little love interest with each other. So the Josh Hartnett character, his name is Slevin. So that's the name on the, you know, the cover, lucky number Slevin. Lucy Lou's character is the neighbor. And so they're like, you know, one day we'll have to, you know you know, get together or whatever and whatnot. And so he's still walking around the, the apartment with a towel while Lucy Lou is there. Lucy Lou leaves and then um, Slevin tries to start, like, going about his day. There's a knock on the door and two goons come in and, like, start strangling him. And he's like, what's going on? Like, we're looking for Nick. And he's like, well, I'm not Nick. And he's like, well, we came to the... We were told to come to this address to pick up the guy who lived there. You seem to be the guy who lives here. And then Slevin's like, I don't live here. And my name's not Nick. And he's like, well, can you prove to me your name's not Nick? And he's like, no, I was mugged today and the guy took my wallet. <laughs> and so they're like, well, you're the guy who lives here. We're going to take you to the boss. So they drag him across town. Meanwhile, still in a towel. He's still wearing a towel in this fucking, in this scene. And he goes to meet the boss. And the boss is Morgan Freeman, who seems to be this, like, high-level gangster who lives at the top penthouse floor of this building. And so he's like, you owe me a lot of money. And he's like, I don't owe you any money. Are you Nick? He's like, are you Nick? He's like, I mean, you guys thought I was Nick, but I'm not Nick. And he's like, well, maybe you don't owe me some money. But I think you do owe me some money. <laughs> and so the boss is like, you have to kill the rabbi's son. And he's like, who's the rabbi? And he's like, the rabbi is the other <laughs> the other big bad boss. So right across the street is another building where there's another penthouse floor that the rabbi lives on. And the rabbi and the boss used to be partners. And then they got into this feud and now they're separated. And they never leave their house. They never leave the penthouse. They sent all of their like henchmen and goons out to get people and do their dirty work. They never leave their penthouses for fear of the other man trying to kill them. So they stay securely in their penthouses. And he's like, well, you may not be Nick, but you somebody owes me money. And if you don't kill this guy in 72 hours, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to kill you. And he's still in a towel, by the way. Josh Hartnett is walking around still in the towel. So his bad dudes take him back to his apartment. 
And then you see a scene where Morgan Freeman meets Bruce Willis. And you learn that Bruce Willis is a major assassin in the storyline. Then also, while the henchmen for the boss are taking Slevin back to the apartment, you learn that there are some um, police detectives that are, like, surveillancing the boss and trying to learn, you know, their... These are kingpins in the city. So they're trying to keep an eye on, like, who the players are and why people are, like, going in and out of the buildings and whatnot. So they see this guy and they're like, who's this dude in a towel? Why is he coming out of the boss's building? So they bring Slevin back to his apartment. He goes back in, trying to, like, settle. And then Lucy Luke comes back in. She says, I'm on my lunch break. I came back to see if, you know, Nick was here. Nick still hasn't come back yet. They have another long conversation where they try to build up their relationship and their characters. She leaves. Slevin finally gets dressed. He gets a knock on the door. And it's two Hasidic Jews. And he's like, what are you guys doing here? And he's like, we're going to bring you to the rabbi. And he's like, why do I have to bring you to the rabbi? Like, why, why do I have to go to the rabbi? This doesn't make any sense. So they're just like, fuck you, come with us. So they drag him out, they bring him to the building, literally across the street from the boss. And that's where you really learn that, okay, they're two separate buildings, two separate gangsters, they're both in the penthouse. And then he goes upstairs, and he meets the rabbi, who is another major kingpin, you know, in the city. They have a long-winded conversation, where, again, you owe me money, and you're going to pay me back the money, or I'm going to kill you in a couple of days. So not only does he have to come up with a bunch of money for either both of these guys, but also Boss wants him to kill somebody. And the person he wants to kill is the rabbi's son. Now, the rabbi doesn't know this from what we know at this point in the film. The rabbi doesn't know this. But the boss's son was murdered, and he suspects that the rabbi had something to do with it. So, in due fairness, the boss says now the rabbi's son has to die to balance the plate. So... He owes the money, he's got to kill somebody, everybody's mistaking him for the guy Nick. And then after Nick is, like, thrown out of the rabbi's office, you see the rabbi talking to Bruce Willis again. And then you're questioning, like, is Bruce Willis, like, playing both sides of the table? Like, is he being, like, a double agent or something? And it's interesting, to say the least, at this point. Then he goes back home, meets with Lucy Liu again, and he tells Lucy Liu the whole story about the rabbi and about the boss and about Nick and about the murders and about the money. And she's like, well, I've been playing detective. I went to a hotel that I think uh, Nick was at after, like, we got a phone call earlier, which, you know, one of the, during one of the dialogue scenes, I probably I forgot to mention this, during one of the dialogue scenes, they get a phone call from a number that doesn't say anything. She calls it back, discovers it's a, it's a hotel. She goes to the hotel and tries to see, like, if there's some shady character there. Winds up crossing paths with the Bruce Willis assassin, essentially. And she kind of brings that up to, you know, Slevin. Show, she snaps a picture of him without him looking. Shows the picture to Slevin. Says, do you know this guy? And Slevin's like, never seen him before in my life. So then... Lucy Liu is still, like, playing detective, and she's learning about all the stuff that Slevin's going through, and she's like, well, what do we do? And he's like, well, I guess I gotta kill the rabbi's son. And so he goes and he meets the boss to kind of tell him, yeah, I'll, um, I'll kill, you know, the rabbi's son for you. And they have, like, a chess game where there's a back-and-forth scene between Bruce Willis, the assassin, explaining to the boss why he's using this guy who he thinks is Nick and it's actually Slevin as a pawn 
because, like I said, the boss's son is dead. So that's why he called in the assassin, Bruce Willis. The assassin's, the, the assassin's name is Mr. Goodcat. So Mr. Goodcat is telling him, listen, this can't look like a job. So you have to get a decoy. Here's a decoy, this guy, Nick. So as Goodcat is explaining this to the boss, it's a scene where it's like uh, it's like a, a mesh of the same kind of chess game where it sounds like uh, Goodcat is explaining it to Slevin when it's actually the boss explaining it to Slevin. But he's saying the exact same things that Mr. Goodcat said. So it's like this, you know, mesh scene of these two separate games and whatnot. And so they explain, you know, the how the boss, how the rabbi's son is, you know, uh, homosexual, how he has bodyguards around him all the time. You know, they explain like his normal, uh, his normal routines. It's like, oh, how do I get him alone? Oh, you get him alone by having him assume that you want to know you sleep with him. And then you get him into his room and then, you know, you murder him before you know, the, the bodyguards can come and take him. So Nick's like, oh, yeah, I guess I will. Now, at this point. He gets taken by the detectives. The detectives pick him up and they're like, who are you? What are you doing here? And he's like, my name is Slevin. I don't know what you're talking about. He's playing the role that he can't get the cops involved because otherwise the cops are pretty much going to not do anything for him. And he's going to get murdered either way. So he goes back to the apartment. Lucy Lou is talking to him. And they're like, oh, well, we have to go and find, you know, the rabbi's son. He hangs out at this such and such, you know, place. Let's go out for dinner. You know, so they go out to dinner together. They're scoping because she's like really involved in this now since she, like she's Nick's friend and Slevin is being mistaken for Nick. She kind of gets involved because she wants to also find out about Nick and help Slevin because she seems like her character is meant to be like obsessive in that way. And you also see, like, there's a love interest building between the neighbor and Slevin. So they're in the restaurant, scoping out the rabbi's son. And there's also the detective, played by Stanley Tucci, like, looking at them, like, watching them as well. So, um, he corners the rabbi's son in a bathroom, says, you know, we should hang out. They exchange numbers, blah, blah, blah. They go about their merry way. Again, Slevin gets, like, taken up by the police. They're like, who are you? You know, what are you doing in town? Why are you hanging out with these people? And he just, you know, he, he's giving them the runaround because he can't tell anybody anything. F fast forward, it's, uh, he meets back up with Lucy Lou. You know, they have sex that night, and they kind of, like, bond over, like, having things in common. He goes out and gets a cup of coffee, Comes back and there's a really like traumatic scene where he's like, you know, this is the night I have to do this. And I don't know if I'm going to make it out of there alive. You know, if I do, I want to come back and see you or whatever. The goons come, the, the boss's goons come, say, you know, put this on, time for you to go meet the rabbi's son. Now, both the boss's henchmen and the rabbi's henchmen have been keeping an eye on Nick. Or Slevin, I should say, who they think is Nick. Then you see a scene as he's driving off with the boss's people where the two henchmen for the rabbi have been shot in their car. They're dead in the car outside the apartment. You then see Slevin go to the apartment where the rabbi's son is and then he just like is standing there and just bam, two shots in the chest and he's done. And then he's just standing over his body and right there you see the Bruce Willis assassin like in the room with him 
And he, as Slevin is leaning over the body, he turns around, sees Mr. Goodcat, and then Mr. Goodcat finishes killing the son because the son is still sort of alive. And then he hands Slevin a set of keys, and you're like, holy shit! Do they work? Are they working together? Because he's the whole prep. The whole premise of him using who they thought was Nick was to have a scapegoat. Like he's gonna go in there, kill the rabbi's son, make it look like him. Then he's gonna kill him, make it look like a homosexual murder suicide. But he doesn't do that. They're working together. So Slevin and Mr. Goodcat are working together, and then Mr. Goodcat takes care of the security guards for the rabbi's son. Then they bring then Slevin goes outside, brings in a body bag, and out of the body bag pops the dude from the train station at the beginning of the film that he killed. They lay the body there, then they set off a bomb to blow up the apartment and incinerate everything. So they're meant to assume that not only is the rabbi's son dead, but also that Slevin died, or, or quote-unquote Nick. Right after that, goes right to the boss's um, penthouse. All of his gangsters, all of his gangsters and all of his henchmen are basically dead. And the boss is looking at Mr. Goodcat like, you were supposed to make this not look like a job. You blew up an apartment building... Now it looks like a job. And so Mr. Goodcat's like, oh, well, that's unfortunate. And then in the very next scene, you see um, uh, Slevin go into the rabbi's penthouse and basically inject him, like trick him to get injected with something that knocks him out. And then he drags him out. And so the right after those two scenes, you see the two of them like taped to chairs back to back from each other. And they're sitting there yelling at each other like, oh, this is this is all you're doing. Oh, this is all you're doing. And so it turns out that as they're sitting there blaming each other and learning that each other's sons are dead, here comes Slevin down the stairs, very cynical, and he's basically like, you know, whoever is paying you, you know, I'll double it or I'll triple it. And he's like, nobody paid me. I did this to you. And they're like, what? And so he goes back in time. We travel back to that first scene where the um, one of the bookkeepers, the guy who gets assassinated in the first 90 seconds, you see the dude on the escalator is Mr. Goodcat. It's Bruce Willis. And then you go up a little bit further, the dude who threw the baseball at this guy's face, that's Josh Hartnett. They took, these were two bookies, they took their books and they were trying to find a name that fit in each book because one bookie worked for the rabbi and another bookie worked for the boss. He, they had to find a name that fit in both books. They happened to find the guy Nick. The guy Nick is the guy in the train station murdered at the beginning of the film. So they, they're working together to set up the boss and the rabbi. And now the whole train of events that start this is the murder of the boss's son. Who murdered the boss's son? Slevin! It shows the son getting murdered at the beginning of the film. Then it goes back to that scene and it shows Slevin on a roof with a sniper scope. Bam! One shot walks off the roof. So Slevin and Mr. Goodcat are working together and they're basically trying to take down Mr. Good, um, uh, the, the boss and the rabbi. But why? So then he starts to explain to them why he did this. 
So, why does he do it? Well, remember at the beginning of the film where he's explaining the story of the entire family that was murdered because of a horse race? Well, yeah. Slevin is the kid who Mr. Goodcat wound up not actually murdering. Like, you assume that the mother dies because the mother, you see the mother die, you see the father die, the guy who actually made the bet, and the dude who was supposed to assassinate the little kid was Mr. Goodcat. And he didn't. He kept the kid. He said, I'm going to raise you or whatever. And so years have passed since that race and since that massacre of his family happened. And so he helped him like get revenge on these two people who murdered his whole family. And it goes back to the scene where his father's getting tortured and his father's the dude that made the bet. And it explains that the two, two of the people that were in the room kind of torturing him was the rabbi and the boss. This went back to a time where the rabbi and the boss were working together. They had a falling out and split up. So not only is he the kid, but he totally fooled all of them. And he's got Mr. Goodcat, this assassin, backing him up and training him how to be a trained killer. So he tricks both Mr. Goodcat, he tricks both the boss and the rabbi, and Mr. Goodcat is basically his father figure. So now, how do you learn this? You learn this because the detective who's on this case, who's basically like, 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 has been running up on Slevin for the majority of the third act of this film, trying to like get to know who he is and why he's doing this, why he's in town, what the rabbi wants with him, what the boss wants with him. One of his partners in the police station is explaining this to him over the phone. So as he's explaining this story about this legend of the family that was slaughtered, he's on the phone with him, and in the back seat is Slevin. And so throughout the film, you're trying to learn, well, what's the name Slevin? Well, the name Slevin actually is the name of the horse from the race. And nobody remembers because the race happened like 25 years ago. And not only is, it, is that the name of the horse, but then he also gave the, the cops a false last name. He tells the cops at one point, my name is Slevin Kalevra. Kalevra is a Hebrew word and it means bad dog. And as you learn what Kalevra means, you flash back to the scene where the mother is shot by the dude with the shotgun and that's the detective. The detective was an assassin back in the day, and now he's a cop. <laughs> and and Slevin knew that, and he's going to kill him too, and bam, shot in the head. So Bad Dog is dead, the rabbi's dead, Mr. Goodcat, uh, Mr. Goodcat's alive, and he's a trained assassin that's been working with Slevin, and Slevin's been working with him. The boss is dead, all their henchmen are dead. Cut to a scene in the same train station. What you assume to happen is that, you know, because the Lucy Liu character has gotten really involved in the story, you would think that she dies. So eventually, Mr. Goodcat catches up with her and tries to kill her. But then in the train station, you see she's actually not dead. She's alive. And how do you, how do you explain that? A scene from earlier on, the morning after... They had that dinner and they had sex and they kind of like fell in love with each other. That morning after, he goes out for coffee and he comes back and there's the scene where you think they're having like this moment where it's like, oh shit, this is the night where you might die, but I really have feelings for you. 
So after this scene, kind of, kind of that kind of happens, you're left with some questions about, well, you know, that sucks. And then it goes back to that scene and it shows that, oh no, he explained to her everything that was going on. He told her about Mr. Goodcat. He told her about who he really was. He told her about the boss and the rabbi and all of the information. So she knew everything. So he's like, he's going to come after you. You know, he'll, he'll shoot you like right here because he knows that's like an instant kill. You know, make sure you protect that area. And so she does. So you go back to that scene where she gets shot and she actually stands up right after and pulls out, you know, all the stuff that she was using to guard herself. And you think, oh, yay, they're going to live happily ever after. And then boom, Mr. Goodcat's in the corner and he's like, like she she made me she can't live because she's seen my face and he's like you know i can't let you do that and so mr good cat knows that because this is now slevin has now grown to be his son in a way so he's like yeah i understand and then he leaves them so they're left to kind of live happily ever after so slevin has gotten his revenge he's now met apparently the love of his life and mr good cat is going to go back into like hiding or retirement or whatever so that's the twist of this film, and it's such a good film from start to finish, and I hope my description is able to, you know, get you feeling about the movie like I did if you're a person who's watched it before, and if you've just watched it, and I've done a really good job at, you know, explaining it, thank you so much for listening, and again, this is just a, like a top 10 movie for me. I love Lucky Number 11, and even though it's one of those films that you can only watch once, because once you know the twist, it kind of defeats the purpose... You could, this is a film that I'm okay with watching again to show somebody else, you know, the reason why I love it. And I can say that about certain films where it's like, oh yeah, this is a good film. You should watch it. I won't necessarily watch it with you because I've seen it already, but this film I would watch again. I would totally, I watched this film when I had to uh, expose my wife to it. I'll watch this film a thousand times. I love Lucky Number Slevin. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, um, I appreciate you. And yeah, if you've never seen the film before and any of my explanation over the 30 minutes I've been explaining this film catches your interest, please go and watch it. It's totally worth it.